0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: Hello, welcome to The Country Hour today. I'm Cassie Huff. Coming up, the latest from Rex Minerals, the company planning to mine copper on the York Peninsula. You'll hear from the country and what the, the company, I should say, and what their farmer neighbour makes of the latest announcement.
3: Uh, I think uh, history will repeat itself uh, of the numerous people that have tried to get the hillside mine going uh, in the past, and I fear that this project will be no different.
2: And I'll have more on that. And if you like lobster for Christmas, I'll have an update on what they might cost you. That's all coming up in the next half hour. But first, well, lobster prices have generally cooled as we head into the Christmas break. Goats have been off the boil for months. In the past six months, the Australian goat market has seen a harsh downturn with carcass weight prices falling from 920 cents a kilogram in June to 361 cents a kilo now in December. That's an over 60% drop. Senior market analyst with Auctions Plus, Emma Fessy, explains to Alice Marshall the factors that have caused this drop and what it could signal for other markets like sheep and cattle.
4: If we look into international markets, because the goat industry in Australia is quite a niche market and it's geared towards um, the international domestic, um, the international export market. So we've got 91% of all of our goat meat is heading overseas and 50%, 57% of that is actually heading into the United States. And so quite a few of those headwinds caused by the drought in the United States as well as a few macroeconomic pressures has really caused um, the reduced consumer sentiment from our international markets, uh, which has sort of carried forward across into our prices and demand on a domestic level.
0: Mm, Okay, so then how does the drought impact our Australian market? So the US drought, basically
4: the past six to 12 months that we've seen some record um, cow slaughter rates come through in the US. So the August numbers across the US have seen their cow slaughter sit 20% higher than in 2021, which essentially that means that they've got a lot of cold red meat in storage. And it's the kind of, like the drawback of that is they've got Uh, They're lowering their prices on a retail level, which is then pushing back the demand for goat meat because it is that niche protein Um, and it's kind of the first one that will take a bit of a knock when the prices of beef and lamb take a hit on the retail level.
0: So looking at this pretty dramatic six-month downturn in goat prices, is there any warnings that other markets like maybe sheep or cattle can take away? from what we're seeing at the goat market at the moment?
4: Essentially, we both know that the cattle herd and sheep flock have been in expansionary phases with additional production forecasts to hit the markets in 2023. And so if we look into the economic conditions and consumer sentiment in the overseas markets, which are expected to toughen and tighten across 2023, the outlook of Australian livestock prices is going to look a little bit tougher. Um, coming into 2023 and moving forward and currently we've seen goat prices begin to slip back and that's been followed by a reduction in the um, eastern young cattle indicator so I guess uh, to reinforce that canary in the coal mine metaphor we're seeing that reduced consumer sentiment combined with the headwinds from economic conditions and overseas markets And that's facilitated the decline in goat prices, both online on auctions plus and over the hooks. Um, And I guess further to this, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicators recently registered significant declines with some of the prices closing at 869 cents. So that was on the 5th of December. And that was 22% lower year on year and 15% lower than the same time in November. So I guess while there are a multitude of factors which are influencing the price performance, um, there's market drivers which impact one livestock commodity are pretty much certain to impact the others just at differing magnitudes.
0: Do you think that until there is a bit of a, a shift out of drought in the US that that goat market will continue to go downwards? Um, I'd like to think that we've pretty much
4: found the flaw in the market at the moment but, again, we're still seeing reduce clearances, reduce throughput on auctions plus, for example, so if we're looking at our goat listings in November across auctions plus, we actually saw a 73% reduction in goat listings from November in 2021. And earlier in the year, for the first three months of 2021, we actually saw three back-to-back months of record online listings. So they were sitting 115% higher than the same period in 2021. And I was out speaking in Longreach at a uh, red meat meetup conference, and the consumer sentiment around there was really positive, and the goat market was, you know, pushing up into those highs that we spoke about with the 920 cents per kilo. So, I think the past conditions that we've seen in the recent months have been driven by the the export market, and as well as the rising interest rates and struggle for labour. So, moving forward into 2022 we can hope that consumer sentiment improves and the demand begins to
2: see an uptick MFSE, a senior analyst with Auctions Plus speaking with Alice Marshall there and I'll have more on the sheep and cattle markets in South Australia this week soon. Now while we're talking livestock though public consultation is now open for the draft veterinary services bill. Now this bill aims to provide uh, or to at least update the veterinary practice regulation in South Australia. It's going to mean uh, more flexibility in the registration of uh, vets, Uh, trying to encourage some vets back into the workforce after time away and uh, removing unnecessary offence provisions and administrative burden among other things. There's several things included in this. Obviously, the the key functions of this uh, Veterinary Practice Act of 2003 is to uh, register and regulate veterinarians and vet services and that'll be maintained. Uh, It's part of uh, a sort of reform of animal livestock uh, and and reform agenda um, given and that there are concerns around biosecurity issues from outside the country. So uh, the government said that hopes that these changes will provide additional measures to ensure that South Australia has the necessary powers to deliver a swift and agile response to future animal uh, disease incursions such as foot and mouth disease, lumpy skin disease and African swine fever among other things. Now if you want to provide your feedback you can go to www.yoursay.gov.au Veterinary Services Act and the consultation on that closes on the 19th of February next year. It's 12 minutes past 12.
5: Know your emergency plan this summer. A third consecutive London. Yes. And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up to the minute critical information
6: We have issued an emergency
5: warning Online at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC radio ABC radio,
7: reliable source
5: for information Stay safe, stay connected I don't
7: know what I'd
5: do without the ABC Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station You're listening to Cassie Huff
1: on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill
2: Mining company Rex Minerals is moving forward with its plans to establish a copper and gold mine on the York Peninsula. The company announced today that they're seeking finance for the hillside project and preparing for operational readiness. Angela Coe spoke with the CEO of Rex Minerals, Richard Luffman, this morning about what it means. This is some of what he had to say.
8: We've already spent some $200 million, nearly 30 in the last 12 months on this project, so we're quite well-advanced We're doing a lot on site, so we have committed to the development of the project. Um, What we're seeking is uh, finance in the order of $850 total financing package to actually uh, start construction. And we've begun on site already, so we've we've been putting in a lot of environmental monitoring, doing rainwater tank testing, preparing for the first road upgrades that will take place early in the new year. And uh, we've passed a couple of major milestones and hurdles. You know, we've, we've landed the right side of history, you know, with the world moving to electrification. It's, it can't even take the first step without copper. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you produce power. You're going Whether you use a coal-fired power station or a solar cell, you need copper. To transmit the power, you need copper. And to use the power, you need copper. This is a copper mine on the Copper Coast in South Australia. And it's really the only mine in the go bay in Australia. So, and Australia is a pretty great place to be. And if you're going to be in Australia, South Australia is arguably the best place to be. So when you ask me the question, how do we go about financing it? There's a lot of interest in this.
4: What does operational readiness mean in, in real world terms?
8: For us, operational readiness means we have all the pre-development work done, all of our environmental monitoring in place, the road diversions, the power upgrades, the water installations. So the site is prepped and ready to go when we start developing, but at the same time, we're building and training the people that will operate the mine when it comes into operation. So we're quite advanced with the construction phase of the project and the work required, but to run it means we have to now start leaning over the fence and uh, and putting putting in place the training programs to bring people up to speed so that we're ready to operate when, when, when we turn this mine on at the end of 2025.
4: Richard, there has been opposition to this project since it, since it was cited many, many years ago. How are you going yeah. to address that opposition from people who don't want to see mining on agricultural land?
8: So look, that's a really good uh, question and we can never run from it. So I've spent myself a lot of time speaking to all the people on the Yorks or a large number of people, I should say, including mostly the opponents of the project. And uh, I guess our record speaks for itself somewhat. So we've acquired the land and uh, all of our permits and approvals down there, uh, never once resorting to anything other than direct negotiation with the farmers. Uh, I speak to a lot of people. The support for the project is really quite enormous. And, And look, it's a bit of a throwaway to say it brings jobs. Yes, it brings jobs. But it just doesn't bring jobs, it brings diversity, right? Instead of just farmers, right? You have a plethora of different people that will support hospitals, schools, sporting clubs, infrastructure development, the sorts of things that make uh, a region exciting and the sorts of things that make governments commit to more expansive ideas like, oh, well, maybe we should have a better high school or maybe that should feed into a um, medical research facility that we can put over there. And, you know, and you start to uh, develop regional hubs of substance. Uh, that's what we bring to the Yorks. So when I speak to people, even some that really would, would prefer not to have the mine, I go, well, hang on, I grew up thinking mining's bad. And I have these conversations with people and I say, that's, yeah, okay. But you know what? If you can't grow it, you've got to mine it.
2: CEO of Rex Minerals, Richard Luffman, speaking with Angela Coe. Pine Point farmer Brenton Davey lives next door to the mine. He's been dealing with this project since about 2007 and is sceptical it will ever get the finance it needs to go ahead.
3: It sounds like they're, uh, they're trying to talk up the project, but uh, they're a long way off, I think, of, uh, of getting finance uh, for the project. Uh, I haven't heard any announcements yet of uh, of any finance for the project.
2: You live right next door to this mine. What has this meant for you?
3: Well, I'm starting to, uh, to get used to uh, um, the way this company talks about their project. And uh, I am becoming more confident uh, that uh, uh, I think uh, history will repeat itself of the numerous people that have tried to get the hillside mine going in the past, and I fear that this project will be no different.
2: It does sound as though they are on track, though, and would that mean that your farm would be incorporated in the mine if it, if it does go ahead?
3: Uh, yes, it will be, yes, uh, and um, they uh, still need to get a waiver of exemption from me, so um, uh, there's still a lot of hurdles that they have to cross before they can get the project up and running.
2: With the mine's waiver of exemption, have you engaged in any process with that yet?
3: No, no, not at all.
2: And looking around the countryside where they are looking to mine, I understand the York Peninsula is having a particularly good season this year. You grow crops. How are your crops looking?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, The crops are going uh, very well. We're uh, about halfway through our uh, reaping program. And we are having a a record year. Uh, The previous uh, record was back in 2016, where we repped on average uh, five to six tonne crops. This year, uh, we are reaping seven to eight tonne uh, crops, uh, something that uh, I have not heard of before.
2: Did you ever think you'd see the day that you would pull off crops that big?
3: Uh, No, uh, you'll you'll never say never. Uh, I've heard of my father speak before. He says, I would love the day when I can reap a two-tonne to the acre uh, wheat crop. Well, we've passed that uh, back in 2016. And I've said, I will look forward to the day when I can uh, uh, progress that. And uh, today, uh, we have done that. We are achieving that.
2: Has there been any activity on the land? I understand it's next door to you. Have you seen any activity?
3: I can look out the front of my windows uh, all over the uh, Rex Minerals property and it looks like farming land to me. They've been reaping record crops out there too.
2: Pine Point farmer Brenton Davey there just discussing the latest from mining group Rex Minerals that has said it's moving forward with its plans to establish a copper mine on the York Peninsula. We've got weather coming up next, but in the meantime, Peter Kerr has the latest from the cattle and sheep markets.
9: Good afternoon, Cassie. This is the Mount Gambier Cattle Report for the 14th of December. Numbers remain steady. they aged at 975 head of live weight and open auction cattle, these sold to the usual field of trade and processor buyers along with feeder and restocker orders? Quality was generally good with a large number of vealer calves coming forward as the market sold at cheaper rates. Veeler steers to the trade made from four hundred and twelve to four hundred and fifty eight cents with similar heifers making from three hundred and ninety-eight to four hundred and forty six, feeder sort of steers from four hundred to four hundred and eighty cents and heifers from three hundred and thirty to three hundred and ninety-five. Restocker orders operated over both sexes from four hundred and six to four hundred and sixty four cents as vealers were up to twenty cents a kilogram, easier in price. Healing steers made from 395 to 440 cents to the trade. Similar heifers from 410 to 425. Reef are active from 415 to 434 cents a kilogram over both sexes. Crown steers and bullocks made from 370 to 417 cents to ease 12 cents. Feeders active from 362 to 430. Crown heifers to the trade range from 346 to 415. Feeders operating here from 375 to 412 with manufacturing steers making from 328 to 345 cents a kilogram. Heavy cows, these 10 cents, they return from 300 to 349 as lighter types make from 250 to 290 cents. for some restocker activity from 330 to 345 cents a kilogram. Bulls range from 290 to 345 cents a kilogram. Cassie, I've also got the last Dublin reports for this year as well. At the final sale in Dublin, there was a large yarding of 4,962 very mixed-quality crossbred and merino lambs. All the usual processor and trade buyers were in attendance, along with a broad contingent of feeder and restocker buyers, who appeared far more eager to purchase now that stubble feed has become available. Trade and processor demand was solid and prices for new seasons, as well as Sean Crossbred's trade and heavyweights remain on a par with last week. Lightweight store condition lands, both Crossbred and Marina, were in abundance and demand for stronger. Prices lifted 5 to $10 a head for this category. Hoggets were plentiful and demand from processor and trade buyers was stronger. Prices lifting here from by like 10 to $15 a head. Light Crossbred lands range from 96 to 125. Light trades from 130 to 160. Heavy Crossbreds 162 to 200 with the extra heavies from 200 to 215. Light merino lands from 50 to 90 light trades, 94 to 158. Heavy merino lands from 160 to $198. Light hoggets range from 60 to 90 to heavies from 95 up to $160 a head. At the following sheep sale, there was a similar size yarding of 4,225 generally good quality sheep yarded. All the usual trade and processor buyers were in attendance, however, it was mainly left to two major processors to carry the bidding. Heavy use was scorned by buyers and barely equaled last week's easing results. Lightweight use attracted more bidding and remained firm. Rams were again virtually ignored, over suppliers taking its toll on their value. As supply diminishes, prices should rebound. Light use ranged from 40 to 84. Heavy use from 80 to 125. Heavy weathers ranged from 90 to 130, and rams from 20 to 40 for the light ones. Heavy rams from 45 to 70 dollars. At the following cattle sale, there was a large outing of 241 mixed cattle. Be sold a solid competition provided by the usual buyers. Lightweight cattle were again the most sought after commodity, and heavyweight cattle were again discounted. Bulls were plentiful. Lightweights for the flavour of the day. Any bulls that exceeded 300 kilograms, lightweight, were discounted heavily. Cows remained steady, and prices equaled last week's returns. Buyers to the trade from 450 to 530 cents. Yearlings from 350 to 450. Buyers to store buyers from 470 to 560. Yearlings for 370 to 470. Heavy cows from 200 to 260 cents, light types from 170 to 200. Heavy bulls from 260 to 320 cents with light bulls from 400 to 520 cents a kilogram. This has been Peter Kerr for the MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service.
2: Thanks for that, Peter. Now, I think that could be the last market for the year, although I didn't get full confirmation on that. I think that's still being decided, but that could be the, the last um, of some of at least the Mount Gambier cattle markets that, uh, that Peter will be reporting on this year, but we'll be back in the new year. But I'll keep you posted on that. We'll head across to the Bureau of Meteorology. Now, where Vince Rollins has the latest in the weather, good afternoon. Hello, Cassie. There's parts of the state that are quite overcast today, but uh, other parts are a bit sunny. What's happening yeah. while we're yeah, experiencing so... this very yeah. cool to start to December?
10: Yeah, we are. So, uh, yeah, that as I mentioned yesterday, that uh, high-pressure system sitting to the south of WA is the real dominant feature, and it's just pushing uh, southerlies across the, the state, and uh, just with that ridge pushing in, we, we do tend to get uh, quite a bit of clouds sitting over southern parts of the state, which is obviously happening yesterday and uh, again today. But we do have a little bit of high-level, medium-to-high-level cloud just drifting into uh, western parts as well. But uh, the, the large part of the northeast um, and northern agricultural area is still pretty much cloud-free. But, yeah, certainly with uh, yeah, quite a long trajectory of uh, southerly winds, um, moving up from the south and then moving across the state it's certainly keeping those temperatures uh, below average for this time of year and we saw some pretty cold temperatures overnight as well with uh some locations getting uh, down into the single figures and uh, yeah, getting down to as low as uh, 4 degrees for Keith and 3.8 degrees for Lamaru. So yes, yeah, some, certainly some pretty chilly weather happening at the moment. But uh, we are going to see temperatures just warm up a little bit over the next couple of days but then warming up more substantially as we go through the weekend and into next week. So that's just due to that high pressure system just slowly moving eastwards over the next few days. Winds going a bit more south-easterly initially, then around to the east. And then, uh, as we get into the weekend, we do get a trough, just a weak trough, just moving across from the west. So winds ahead of that will swing round to a bit more northerly, and then uh, some southerly winds coming in behind that trough. So we will see temperatures warm up, and then once that trough goes through, we'll see a bit, uh, bit more cooling behind that trough. But uh, look, not a lot of weather happening at the moment. A little bit of shower activity about southern coasts and ranges today, and just continuing to ease and contract southwards over the next day or two so I might see a little bit of lingering shower activity about southern coast but as we Heading to uh, looking at the northwest of the state, I should say, um, we are looking at some possible thunderstorm activity up in the far northwest this afternoon. As we start to see that trough just moving a little bit further eastwards over WA, we get an infeed of moisture and a little bit of instability moving into that northwest. So we're looking at thunderstorms uh, continuing in that region through Thursday, Friday. And into Saturday, and it looks like uh, there could be some uh, reasonably gusty winds associated with those storms as well, and the potential for some relatively good falls. So, we'll, we'll be monitoring those storms pretty closely. But as we head through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and into Wednesday, that trough just continues to move eastwards. So, the shower and thunderstorm activity uh, linked with that trough just gradually um, extend eastwards through the Monday particularly the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday period. So even though quite uh, a large area of the state will remain dry uh, for the next four days as we head into next week, there is potential there for uh, some reasonable falls for this time of year to move uh, across remaining parts of the state. So uh, that's another thing I suppose we'll be looking at pretty closely with, uh, I'm assuming, harvesting and that's going on at the moment. So uh, we're probably not looking at... uh, wanting too much rainfall across the the state, uh, but you're likely to see, as I mentioned, some reasonable falls. So, yeah, just uh, in general, Cassie, so temperatures is warming over the next three to four days, some uh, thunderstorm activity in the northwest, but... Uh, heading through next week we're likely to see a bit more so rainfall totals generally less than a millimetre or two about the south getting up to um, possibly sort of in that range up to 10 millimetres about the far northwest but if we do see some organised thunderstorms up there could see some potential falls getting up to around 40 millimetres.
2: Thanks so much for that, Vince Rollins. There sounds like this cool spell is going to ease, and uh, I'm sure some will welcome that. In the far west of New South Wales, the Upper Western will be sunny. Overnight temperatures are going to fall to between 10 and 13 degrees, but the daytime temperatures will reach the low to high 20s. So, pretty mild there in the Upper Western. Lower Western, very similar. It's mostly sunny, a little bit of wind around, dropping to 7 to 10 degrees during the day, but the uh, oh, sorry, during the night say, but during the day, it will reach the low 20s. More to come on The Country Oh, We're going to be looking more at some of the uh, Easter protein, the Easter Christmas proteins that we uh, love to try at uh, Christmas time, especially in the seafood area. So I'll have more on that soon as we approach
1: 12.30. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff.
2: Hello, I'm so glad you could join me today for the program. Did you? have lobster for christmas last year perhaps the year before two years ago was the first time i'd ever had lobster for christmas and part of that was because the prices uh, were so low as a result of uh, our rock lobster uh, industry losing one of its major markets in china but could things be turning around this festive season
11: the price has come up a bit too. That you know, the beach price has come up. You know, around the, depends what size they are, but between sixty and seventy-five dollars has been the beach price. Which, if we look at this time last year, is quite a bit higher. So that, that obviously does you know impact on the retail pricing as well.
2: Have you developed a bit of a taste for lobster at Christmas time or perhaps oysters? I'll have a little bit of an update on oysters as well but let me know what seafood you are craving this Christmas text me 0467 or phone 1300 222 That's coming up in the next half hour or so but first we'll find out what's making news with Matt Coleman Good afternoon.
12: Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon the design and costings are complete for South Australia's biggest infrastructure project but they come With a 50% bigger price tag than first flagged and an extra 125 properties to be acquired, the North-South Tunnel construction in Adelaide will cost $15.4 billion. That's up from $9.9 billion costed by the former Liberal government. The body of a young woman who fell overboard from the Pacific Explorer cruise ship last night has been found off South Australia's southeast coast. The 23-year-old woman was found by one of the rescue helicopters at 7am. The Australian Maritime Safety Authority says her body was located within the search area, about 45 kilometres west of Cape Jaffa. And additional funding of $26 million will be given to the Child Protection System to help boost its services. 33 full-time carers will also be employed at the cost of almost $10 million, with another $10 million invested into specialist services for children and young people requiring extra support. More news at one o'clock.
2: Thanks for that, Matt Coleman. Now, as I was saying, rock lobster prices have been pretty tough for the producers for the last couple of years, but according to an ANZ Commodity data report, the market is slowly but steadily recovering. Prices are up on last year, but still not back to pre-pandemic levels. Seafood retailer and exporter at Ferguson Australia Group's Managing Director, Andrew Ferguson, says southern rock lobster prices have continued to improve.
11: A number of fishermen have stopped fishing too. they sort of they caught a fair bit of their quota, and they've sort of decided to wait for the price to come up, and, uh, and that sort of does help a little bit with making more demand. Um, you know, the price has come up a bit too. That you know the beach price has come up. You know, around the, depends what size they are, but between 60 and 75 dollars has been the beach price, which if we look at this time last year, is quite a bit higher. So that, that obviously does you know, impact on the retail pricing as well.
13: Do you think the prices for lobster this year have been better than what you were expecting compared to last year? I think so. I
11: think it's fair to say that. I think it's been a bit higher than, than, than I was expecting. Uh, and, you know, the market seems to be more fluid. COVID did play a big role in last year's marketplace with shutdowns and stops and starts and restaurants closing down. All that coming back, all those things opening up now, I think that's all part of it as well. Not only in Australia but in the Asian region as well. If we look to that market and I look, think back to this time last year and uh, what was open and what was closed, it it was difficult times.
13: What do you expect for prices going into 2023?
11: I think some of the marketing outside of china that we've done been able to do sort of kicking in a little bit there's other other destinations um, obviously the local market's stronger than it used to be with a, with a better pricing uh, there's, a, there's a number of different factors that have that have helped the price slowly increase to what they were a couple of years ago to when uh, when you know the china bans hit so yes it has gradually increased and it potentially you know i can't see why it can't just slowly increase uh, but it takes time uh, as we look outside of china
13: do you think some of those emerging markets will continue to grow?
11: I think so. Yeah, no, we're obviously travelling now since you know the pandemic's eased in the uh, Western world. Uh, it means we can attend trade shows that we we couldn't have and visit visit other markets you know we, we ourselves have got other products that value-added product that we marketing to these new markets which gives high value uh you know the live lobster market really is centric to asia and uh, china uh, the West, the western world looks for packaged product uh, more convenience and those sort of you know there's got to be a quality product and i think you know the, the industry becoming accredited eventually with msc marine stewardship council will no doubt help us find these niche markets that will pay more for the product so you know it is a unique product so Southern rock lobsters only a certain amount available. that's fished very lowly and under the quota system we've got, very conservatively, I should say. And uh, you know, we've got to we've got to attain the best value we can for the product.
13: Managing Director of Ferguson Australia Group, Andrew Ferguson. The commodity update released by ANZ suggested emerging markets combined with a fall in global supply have helped strengthen prices. Associate Director of Agribusiness Research at ANZ, Madeline Swan, says the industry can expect steadier prices to continue.
14: It's no surprise to anyone that it's been a really horrid couple of years, two and a half, three years for the Australian rock lobster industry and this is just a chance to do a bit of a stock take of where producers are at, what sort of prices they're receiving and what we're really seeing is that they've done a really great job at finding alternative markets to finding some solid market to send their rock lobster to. And what we're seeing really is an industry that is now almost all upside and none of the downside that played havoc with it for the past few years.
13: So what new markets have emerged to replace the Chinese market?
14: They're- they're all still fairly in their infancy, but there are a lot, all across Asia really marketing rock lobster, not just as rock lobster, but also as a luxury seafood good, so the sort of goods that will compete with king crab and snow crab and some of those other really high-end crustaceans and seafoods. Um, so going into Japan, Singapore, South Korea, all those sort of areas that we would think of as being normal trade routes for Australian goods, the rock lobster industry has done really well to start establishing themselves in those markets, which, which both really well for the future. The prices we're seeing now are really a return to the days before the China boom. So the China boom was some sort of anomaly, not so much as the normal. So this isn't, it's not unheard of for the industry to, to be receiving the, the prices that they are at the moment. It's just not as great as it was when China was in the market. So it, it, it's all very sustainable and manageable for them.
13: So we're not back at the yeah. highs, but we're certainly not no. at the
14: lows. No, that's it. We were putting something like over 90% of our exports into China and we were obviously overexposed so they've done a really good job to to find some new markets and and diversify. Do you expect the
13: demand to China to return at some point?
14: That's a really difficult one. It is an issue that falls really in the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Chinese government. I would hope so in the future. I would hope that those relations will soar and improve and and that that rock lobster export market to China will recover Um, but even without that, as I said, what we're seeing is that they found a real, a real price floor and stability in the, in their market now.
2: Associate Director of Agribusiness Research at ANZ, Madeline Swan, speaking with Elsie Adamo there. Are you looking forward to a seafood treat at Christmas or perhaps given how much everything costs at the moment, is seafood still on your menu? You can text me on 0467 891 or phone 1300 222 891. Lobster isn't the only thing that people look forward to. There's prawns and oysters and floods in the eastern states have smashed the oyster industry's production there as they head into their busiest and most lucrative time of year. And now their clients are turning to South Australian oyster farmers to fill that gap, as Lucas Forbes
10: reports.
15: Cow oyster grower Simon Turner is normally run off his feet right up until Christmas. However, Mr Turner says this year he's seen such a surge in demand he's barely got anything left to sell already.
6: New South Wales and Tasmania have had uh, problems with closures, so too much rain can uh, close a bay down due to too much influx of fresh water, and that comes with, uh, because oysters are filter feeders, they filter the water, and whatever's in the water, um, they harness, and that can be good and bad, and with rain events, extreme rain events, that can bring in uh, effluent or chemicals or whatever else. So when there's there's big rain events, food safety programs uh, literally shut that down. Uh, until the uh, water quality then comes back to a standard that's you know acceptable and, and safe to consume. So, what has
15: that really meant though for the demand though that you're seeing for what you're you're selling here?
6: So, due to the closures and uh, weather events that's happened over in the eastern states, um, there are big producers of oysters. South Australia's a big producer as well. But uh, between the three states, main three states, New South Wales, Tasmania and South Australia, the two states over in the eastern side have really struggled to contribute into the marketplace for a, for a period of time recently. And South Australia's had to sort of uh, pick up that slack on all that. Yeah, so we've had uh, an extremely uh, inundation of market numbers wanting, wanting our product. or or markets that want our product because there's not available over in those other particular states.
15: Cal oyster farmer Simon Turner speaking. The closures in the eastern states have also had an effect on the air shellfish oyster hatchery which produces spat to supply to commercial oyster growers. General Manager Alan Bryant says there's been a big increase in oyster growers looking to replenish their own stocks over the past six months.
16: I think we're just a adjunct to the oyster industry. We support the oyster growers, and when oyster growers are selling a lot of product, that increases the demand on hatcheries to supply product in turn, so we've had a record six months for air shellfish, um, so we're pretty happy at the moment.
15: What sort of record? How much have you actually been selling?
16: Millions literally millions. In the past Air Shellfish has sold 30-40 million, well, we've done better than that.
15: So you've sold 30-40 million oysters in the entire in a year and then you've sold more in, in the last 6 months than that? That's correct. What does this mean for your oyster um, operation? Are you looking to expand or does it not really affect it that much?
16: Now, we've already expanded. We've used the opportunity what's going on now. We've Bought another oyster hatchery down in Coffin Bay, and that's been integrated into our operations. And it's integrated with Cowell and Coffin Bay. That's performing as good as what we're doing up here. The product's great at the moment, so that's no problem. So that expansion's been the expansion of selling has been rewarded with uh, we're growing the business.
15: Air Shellfish General Manager Alan Bryant speaking. Mr. Turner says the demand has increased his prices by 30% from 18 months ago. However, he says he's looking forward to seeing the oyster industry in the eastern states recover.
6: Yeah, it'll be good to see our our fellow other states have a bit of a better run because particularly New South Wales with bushfires and... And I know bushfires. Probably you don't relate bushfires with uh, with oyster farming, but uh, land bases and uh, stuff over in New South Wales. So they've just been absolutely hit hard with so many events that I sometimes wonder why they why they're continuing doing it because it just seems to be hit after hit after hit. The poor guys. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'm hoping they uh, they recover and that that they can uh, yeah come back and. Make, you know, be financially viable and, um, yeah, make a living.
2: Cal oyster grower Simon Turner ending that report from Lucas Forbes there. So looking at some of the pricier items on the market when it comes to Christmas Day, but ham is perhaps one that is more common and maybe a little more affordable this year. It's proving to be a popular addition this festive season with retailers reporting sales are up as pork prices remain steady. Megan Hughes has this report.
0: December is always a busy time of the year for central Queensland butcher Greg Wheelow. And this year, his hams are flying off the shelves.
5: I think that it's actually gone up in interest this year. We seem to have a lot more people coming through the door order sort our of, um, own wood smoked hams, yeah.
0: Would you know, like, I guess, um, an approximate difference from previous years? Just
5: the speed of the orders coming in. Like, I'm pretty well... I said, kept myself to an amount that I can actually cure and smoke in store because there's not enough days in the year. And then from there on, it's just how quickly they get orders put on top of them.
0: With the price of beef and lamb having skyrocketed since 2019, pork is proving to be the protein of choice. The price has remained pretty steady in the past 12 months and is considerably cheaper than alternatives. Mr Wheelow says the price differences are evident in his shop.
5: Pork, as opposed to most of the other proteins, has actually held steady. and hasn't gone up anywhere near as much as your likes of your beef and your chicken and your lamb.
0: And have you found that because of that, there's been more people interested?
5: Yeah, definitely. Selling more, a lot more pork, yeah.
0: What sort of products are people going for?
5: Oh, a mixture of everything from your hams that we smoke here in-house and your bacon to your simple chops and roasts.
0: As a retailer, how else have you found meat pricing over the last 12 months?
5: Over the last 12 months, it's sort of held steady. It's gradually gone up a bit. But say over the last three years, a lot of things have actually doubled in price. It's just completely gone mental.
0: And have you found people going away from popular products?
5: Yes and no. Like, your diehard fans of certain cuts will just keep getting it and just fork out the extra money for it. we found that our profit margins have had to halve in a lot of places because we can't see the sense in handing all that expense on to the customers because it's just inaffordable to have that meat then.
0: So why is the price of pork not rising? Rabobank senior animal proteins analyst, Angus Gidley-Bad, explains...
17: It it hasn't had the same supply issues that lamb and beef have. Obviously, the dry conditions through 2018-19 led to a big liquidation of stock and the shortage that we've had through 2020-21 and 22 and the favourable seasons that have meant that people have been aggressively sort of buying and purchasing cattle and sheep and, and that's pushed those prices higher. Pork hasn't gone through the same thing. It's not exposed to the same seasonal movement uh, from a rainfall and pasture availability point of view. So we've seen a little bit more consistent supply. Um, There are starting to be some costs working into that that pork complex now, though. They're a little bit more exposed to the grain price. And we've seen grain prices pick up as a result of Russia-Ukraine situation and shortage in stocks earlier this year in the Northern Hemisphere. So they are starting to see a little bit of cost increase, but generally uh, favorable volumes in the pork market have, have meant that pork prices just haven't seen the, the increase. If we look at the, the year-on-year change at a retail price level, pork is the lowest of all the proteins, even lower than chicken. So the last 12 months have seen beef prices rise 9.3%, lamb prices have risen 5.5%, risen 8.6%, and pork is only 3.8%. It's the one that's performing the best at the moment from a consumer point of view.
0: Definitely from a consumer point of view. And are you expecting those prices to remain steady into Christmas when people will be buying up Christmas hams?
17: Yeah, I think so. I think so. The the pork price or the pig price back to the producer is looking pretty healthy. So it's currently sitting around about the $3.80 mark, which is a good price for them.
0: Bank's Senior Animal Proteins Analyst, Angus Gidley-Baird. While the pork price is stable, input costs have risen, according to Central Queensland pork producer Laurie Brosnan.
18: You've got your your big one, your diesel and stuff like that being nearly record highs and holding, and your power bill as well. At the moment we're uh, reinvesting in our our renewables, we're putting in new digester tanks, so we're buying power. We know what it feels like, well, and truly know how it feels like. All our commodities that come in that we feed the pigs is at... Record highs, or if not, very close to it. Um, you've got your insurance bills that everyone knows, that if you've got a car, it's all gone up, um, and wages has obviously gone up as well.
0: And there was an oversupply for a little while of pork in Australia. Has that managed to even itself out with the higher demand?
18: Yes, it has. Like, COVID was a blessing in some respects because everyone learned how to cook again, um, and that drove fresh pork up as well or held it a little bit Um, it was just the restaurant trade that suffered and that was affecting our sales but coming out of COVID yes it very much like pork is very much on everybody's menu now
2: Central Queensland pork producer Laurie Brosnan ending that story by Megan Hughes. So a bit of a snapshot at some of the key proteins that you might have on your Christmas table. Uh, There's a lot of other ones out there. You don't have to have meat either, but uh, there are some that are perhaps more affordable than others this year. I'd love to know what you're chasing this year for your Christmas lunch or dinner. You can text me 0467 922 891 or phone 1300 222 891. It is 12 minutes to one.
1: You're listening to Cassie Huff on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: project is helping willing deer farmers exit the industry and... As a byproduct, provide meat to Monato Safari Park. With regulations tightening on deer farming, the Pathway to Compliance for Farmed Deer project is helping farmers who can't meet the new requirements leave the industry. Hills and Florio Landscape Board's group team leader for Land and Pests, Susan Ivory, explains the program. We've
7: got about 39 deer farms in our region and every two years we go around to those deer farms and check their fences to make sure they're compliant so that their farm deer don't become feral. And uh, a couple of years ago there was some also new tagging requirements so that all deer over the age of 12 months needed to be tagged. Now the feedback we got from some of our farmers' was that deer farming was no longer viable. They were finding it was a burden to comply with the deer fencing requirements and the ear tagging requirements. So we put together a program to help them get out of deer farming, basically.
2: So if people do want to get out of deer farming, what does this program provide?
7: Yeah, so it's an opt-in project and people can opt in and we will organise at no cost to the landholder to get a contract shooter on the property. The contract shooter will process the deer to a standard required by the Monato Safari Park and then we donate the deer to Monato and that goes towards their, their carnivore conservation programs.
2: How much of an issue have farms exiting the industry been from a feral deer point of view? Have many people just let their deer go?
7: Uh, historically that is probably been the case and that's probably part of the reason why we have approximately 8,000 feral deer in the region. But recently, no, we've been very... Most of our deer farmers are, are pretty good and they don't open the gates. They've got reasonably good fencing in our region. It's not always the case in all regions. But, yeah, they're just finding that the cost of maintaining the fences and getting their ear tagged when there's no economic uh, imperative anymore uh, is a bit burdensome for them.
2: And I understand that the way these animals are, are culled, they, they have to be uh, done by a professional contractor shooter and done to a suitable standard for animal consumption because all the deer as part of this program are going to Minato Safari Park. How did this come about?
7: Yeah, well, we were looking for a, for an option where we could provide some kind of public benefit and not to waste the meat from this program and so we reached out to Monato and they were really supportive. So we've partnered up with MINATO and they've asked that uh, the deer be processed in a particular way. So all deer are shot very humanely and they are processed so the meat is suitable for their carnivores so the, the skin is retained and the hoofs are retained which is not necessarily the case when meat goes for human consumption.
2: Obviously the deer are going towards some carnivores. Which animals are going to have venison on their menu?
7: <laughs> yeah so at Manada Safari Park they're going towards the lions, Tasmanian devils, cheetah, hyena and painted dogs.
2: Oh, wow. Quite a range of animals. Um, I, yeah. dare say, I dare say they'll they really uh, take to it.
7: The high protein meat, low fat, you know, all the good things that we like about venison ourselves, so do they.
2: Why is it that this meat, given it has been farmed, isn't suitable for human consumption?
7: So there are very specific rules around human consumption. Some of those do apply for animal consumption as well. Uh, but it's a much more complicated area and we didn't really want to get involved in the complications around uh, trying to provide deer for human consumption and it's a fairly small amount that we're talking about. So, so far, we've managed to provide Monato with 34 deer, just such a small amount of deer that we didn't really want to get
2: involved in that complexity of human consumption. How many Adelaide Hills deer farmers do you have wanting to get out of the industry?
7: Well, at this stage, we've only worked with a couple of farms. We've worked with two farms and they have not just been in our region, but they've also been in our neighboring region as well. So at the moment, the uptake is fairly low, but the program is open till December, 2023. And uh, we totally understand that for some people, this is a process they have to think through because they actually treat their animals often as pets. So then it's it's a quite a difficult decision for some people to decide they're going to get rid of their deer.
2: There has been some focus on deer in this state, in particular in relation to to feral deer, and there, have been, there has been some commentary around the fact that if control measures stay as they are, numbers are going to explode. Now, this is not a feral deer control measure, but how do you think this is going to play into the overall projects to, to try and control feral deer in this state?
7: Yeah, so as you're alluding to, these these programs work together. So we have a feral deer control program and we work, we have our own programs and we also work in partnership with primary industries. And, you know, so this year we've taken out over 1,300 feral deer and our our, our work that we do with our farmed deer farmers that uh, supports those programs to ensure that those deer don't join the
2: feral deer population and add to those numbers. Susan Ivory from the Hills and Florio Landscape Group. They're talking about a project helping deer farmers exit the industry and uh, their meat is going to the zoo, which I thought was a bit interesting. Finally today, the number of farmers growing... Garlic in Australia has tumbled from when imports first came into the country. But the chair of the Australian Garlic Industry Association, John Olaf, told Jennifer Nichols there's a growing appetite for the flavourful fresh Aussie bulbs and his group role is promoting it.
19: The garlic industry in general itself, it's not a levy-paying horticultural sector, so to get growers together, the Australian Garlic Industry Association was formed many, many years ago. We have, at the moment, probably uh, about 110 members, and uh, probably before, before there was a mass import of garlic from overseas, Chinese garlic in the 90s. I think they had around about 700. So the industry itself has had uh, some ups and downs over the years.
20: And how hard would it be to guess how much tonnage would be produced in garlic a year?
19: Uh, incredibly hard. We do a lot of work with HIA, Horticulture Innovation Australia, uh, to try and work some of those figures out. But really, it is sort of um, a little bit guesswork. i just don't have the figures right right with me at this stage
20: what's the difference between australian garlic and imported garlic
19: well, clearly one's been brought in from an overseas country. It's gone through a, a long stage of transport. It comes into Australia, then it's gassed with methyl bromide to try and eradicate viruses and such like that would be coming over in the garlic itself. It's probably or maybe sprayed with inhibitors to stop it, you know, extend the shelf life. So give it that extra bit of time that it would have in transport. Whereas Australian garlic, uh, generally speaking, it's uh, direct to market.
20: I was looking at the stats for the world. It's quite it's staggering when you think that China produces over 75%, they were saying, of the world's mm. garlic.
19: Correct. Yeah, that's right. But you have to bear in mind a lot of that's also uh, what you'd call industrial garlic as well. goes into food services industry. and doesn't go into what you call the fresh market and to the consumer. It would be going into an industrial market in things like breadcrumbs and additives to other dishes.
20: How hard is it for Australian garlic growers to compete against the prices of that cheaper garlic from overseas?
19: Well, I think we've got to the stage where we don't try to compete.
20: You
17: know, clearly
19: in Australia, we're paying quite a bit out in terms of obligations that an employer has to employees, you know, work cover, superannuation and things like that. We know that these things aren't paid to overseas workers in that sense. So there's some very, very significant differences in input costs you So we just focus really on, as you said before, the better flavor of Australian garlic. And this is what our association does, is to try and educate our consumers or educate the consumers around what is a better flavored garlic. You know, there's many, many different cultivars that are grown and they all have their unique flavors and unique holding capacities and such like, and some are better fresh, some are better cooked. So, you know, our role is to try and educate consumers around those many aspects.
20: I imagine it'd be pretty hard to find that kind of range of garlic even if you've got local garlic growers.
19: Uh, You you certainly don't find the range of garlic in the major chains there's no doubt about that and for obvious reasons too because you know it it takes up more space and for many people garlic is just garlic. Uh, Well the reality is that there is many different flavours and textures and profiles of garlic. Many local growers would probably grow three, four, five different cultivars so if you're lucky enough You'd be able to find a local grower who'd be able to find you some uh, different flavoured garlics.
20: Sounds like fun testing them out. <laughs>
19: <laughs> well, it would be. I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic? Yeah, you've just, you just got to find the time to get around to them.
20: <laughs> John Olaf, how has the industry been going as a whole with the very atrocious weather conditions that have been coming our way this year? How's that affected the harvest?
19: Well, <laughs> oh boy. Look, you know, some of the stories you hear, and I haven't verified a lot of them, but I'm hearing lots of things around secondary shooting. Garlics that are too wet to harvest, can't get out of the ground. Paddocks have been flooded and grounds inundated. So, look, I think there's a lot of difficulty within our sector. It would be just the same as most other uh, agriculture, horticulture sh- sectors in Australia at the moment. You know, it's just been a uniquely different year.
20: And what would you say to somebody who is contemplating trying to grow garlic commercially for the first time?
19: Start small. <laughs> Start small and learn through your mistakes without risking too much if you do have a bad year or bad failure or you've made a mistake or what have you.
2: John Olo for Garlic Grow and Chair of the Australian Garlic Industry Association. That's all I have time for today, but Deb Tribe has lots more coming up this afternoon. Hi, Deb. Hello. I certainly do, Cass. I've only got a few seconds, though, so I'm
13: just going to throw in... It's Wednesday, so we're doing movies and we're retrospectively I love your movies. looking back at the best films of 2022. So uh, I'd love your
15: suggestions on yeah, that. Yeah,
2: what a great one! Stick around for that. I love that segment. Keep listening to ABC Local Radio. It's coming up to one o'clock.
1: Stay connected with your ABC. Find news online at abc.net.au. Select your postcode to see local stories. News and weather.
0: Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.